It's time for the Alien Conspiracy Podcast. We are your hosts, Agent ETA, Agent Ether, and Agent Anderson. Come along as we examine UFO sightings, conspiracies, and all things strange. You can follow the show on Twitter at AlienConPod. We also have an email address, AlienConPod at ProtonMail.com. We would love to hear from you. And don't forget to check out all of our other wonderful links in the description on Linktree. This week's episode, The Doddleston Messages. I love this story, by the way. Yeah, it's pretty fun. Because I I love ghosts. I love like uh, time slips and stuff. And like it's it's a confusing mess of a sort this story, but it's it's pretty interesting, really yeah. freaking interesting. But before we get into all that, I would just like to remind everybody we do have a Patreon, and you are more than welcome to support us on the Patreon. We got three different tiers going on right now. We got the introductory tier, which gets you early access and ad-free versions of the show. Then the middle tier, which gets you bonus content. Hey, you want to hear? Uh, you know. After hours of ETA and I talking about, um, I don't know, our farts or MMA or whatever the hell. I was going to say mostly MMA. Mostly, yeah. <laughs> steaks, maybe. I don't know. Um, how to cook steaks last time. That's what it was. The last one I edited. Uh, we have bonus content where we go over certain documents for certain cases. Um, we have stuff where we're, we're thinking about doing a movie review. Um, we did, uh, I did some, a couple of strange news episodes. I think we have three of those now just, you know, it's, it's different stuff that may not be for the regular show, but I think that's still interesting topics that I want to do. And I think it makes really good bonus content. So we do that. And then the top tier, you get to actually vote for what we're going to do next time. And that was this week's topic was the Doddleston messages. The other topic, which I'm surprised people did not pick, but um, they didn't. They chose the Doddleston was actually the Falcon Lake UFO incident, which is a, a pretty big deal, um, a huge case in Canada. So that one, uh, we'll, we'll probably get to that one eventually. It's uh, it's one of the more prominent cases, so we'll get to it sooner or later, I'm sure. But for this week, as chosen by Patreon, was the Doddleston messages. So we'll do that one. All right, well. Let's get to it, everybody. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Before we get to it also, I just want to shout out a new Patreon subscriber. Who do we got here? We have Stephen Barton is now a Patreon subscriber. So huge thanks. Huge thanks to you, Stephen Barton. And we might as well shout out everybody else while we're at it. We don't have a ton of people yet. So what are you doing, guys? Come on, get on it. <laughs> so we have Sarah Jorgensen, Dick Cheese McGee, Virginia Mailman, Ozzy, no, Ozzy, Ozzy Meemaw, Day One Comics, uh, Rune Ali Christensen, and Diamond. You guys are friggin' awesome. Thank you so much for supporting the show. It really helps us out, gets us a budget so we can get, you know, better equipment and update our software and all kinds of exciting stuff that is somewhat expensive to do. All right. Well, that's my Patreon little thing, Chingadera, I guess. So let's get to it. Well, so it sounds like you're pretty excited about this one, uh, Agent ETA. So you can go ahead and uh, lead if you'd like, if you if you want to start us off here. Well, hell, I mean, like, uh, so the Dalston messages kind of focuses around this computer that this guy Ken Webster had. He was a, a teacher, uh, and, and um, in 1984, 
he had this BBC Model B Micro. And <laughs> yeah, he, he had a BBC Micro. Isn't that sort of like an oxymoron? Just saying. Oh yeah, because the computer was actually sizable. You know, it's, it's not. It wasn't small in any way, shape, or form. You know. Back then, though, those things were just glorified typewriters, right? For the most part. Uh, it was. I mean, it was a fully I mean, functioning computer. Floppy disks and yeah. all. Yes, floppy disks. Yeah. Yeah, but it was very modular, also in its construction too. And um, one of the reasons why uh, I mentioned that is because it had uh, this computer. This particular computer had a uh, chip called Edward in it. And uh, that's the like the the word processor like 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 type of a program that would be uh, modularly installed into this computer, and uh, it's the it's the uh, program that the that this this fellow Ken Webster, uh, his girlfriend Debbie, and also Nick uh, Nicola, is it Baguli that lived with him as as well in this uh, little co- uh, cottage. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's uh, that's where the kind of the story starts. So, from what I understand, the the story kind of starts with a um, somewhat of like a kind of a ghost story, I guess you could say. They they had heard like some, you know, footsteps and stuff in the house, and they were having some like you know mild ghost experiences, I guess you could say. And uh, um, this cottage was kind of in a, a little bit of disrepair when this guy Ken Webster moved into it. And so he was he was uh, doing some upgrades to the house and stuff like that, and you know there there's a an initial story where he uh, was repainting the inside of the kitchen, and before he had done that, there was like uh, what he claimed to be like footsteps on the walls. Uh, it looked like footsteps, but the weird thing about it was these footsteps had six toes. Yes. So I mean, and I saw. So I guess I read there were tiny footprints as well. Like I don't know what that means, but. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't know exactly because you hear, I hear, di- I found different descriptions of this. You know what I mean? So I'm not sure which one to believe, to be honest, because it's been written. This story has been recounted. It's like a game of telephone in some ways. You know, yes. I mean, there's a, <laughs> the, there's a lot, there's a lot of, uh, you know, descriptions by the people directly involved in the case, and I, that, that's what I would go off of, obviously, right? You know, it's, it should be more uh, reliable as far as a testimony, but. So they they had uh, been experiencing some like ghost like interactions and stuff and like they'd hear foot uh, foot uh, steps footsteps and stuff at night and stuff like that and so yeah he was remodeling the kitchen and um, there was foot feet print on the wall and uh, so they painted over it the first coat I I don't know if it's the first or second coat whatever they, they did but the first time they painted it uh, the footprints came back. And then they're like, well, that's weird. They didn't really chalk it up to a whole lot. Like they weren't really freaked out about it. But uh, he he put a, a, another paint coat over, and then I guess they didn't appear reappear after that. So they kind of were just like, all right, well, that was weird, but whatever. You know what I mean? And um, yeah, kind of so just this, dismissed it. Yeah, yeah. And so uh, like so the, um, this uh, BBC uh, micro computer, um, he had borrowed it from the school that he worked at. And I guess they had been uh, given, you know, a grant from the uh, government and been provided these computers uh, because of a uh, program that they had in, in the government at the time. Um, who was it? Uh, was it? Was it? Um, what was her name? Margaret Margaret Thatcher? Was that? Am I am I mistaken here? Um, yeah. Well, yeah. I think I think that's right. All right. Well, anyways, so I, I didn't really put that down in my notes. I was just kind of farting it out of my brain. But uh, so. Yeah, there was a strong push for for these computers being available in schools and stuff at the time. So, uh, luckily, the school that he worked at had actually an abundance of these computers, and so he was able to 
you know, rent one, I guess, or just like, you know, take it out of, you know, to his home to use as a, as a word processor, basically. And, uh, he, he had, you know, him and, and, uh, the, the people he lived with, Debbie and Nick, uh, I obviously the guy, Nick, his name is, uh, Nicola, but everybody called him Nick from what I understand. So yeah, they were, they were using it for other projects that they had, you know, been interested in stuff and, uh, you know, their free time. And, uh, they, they, long story short, I guess, initially, uh, they had left the computer on and had received a message from somebody who seemed to lived in the same, on the same plot of land, not in the house, because the house hadn't been built at the time in which this individual that was contacting them, uh, the house wasn't, wasn't in existence. But the foundations, it seems, the foundations for the original house was still there. These red bricks I, I, right, they were like red bricks. They're like I don't know if they were sandstone or something like that, but they they seem to be the uh, original foundation for the property. Yeah, it had been knocked down, and then obviously this cottage had been rebuilt on top of those foundations. And so this person uh, who you know initially uh, identified themselves as LW uh, ended up uh, telling them that his name was Lucas Wayman, right? Yeah, yeah, Lucas Wayman. And uh, do, do you guys have the uh, the uh, transcripts like 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 for like the original messages? I have some of them. There were a whole bunch of them. I yeah, didn't... I heard there were like three hundred yeah. messages. Yeah. Well, this was going yeah. on apparently for about two years, so I didn't obviously I did not notate all of them, but I do have some of them. So the let's see. So we have in my notes. I have talking about like you said the poltergeist like activity, right? With the Footprints, the furniture being moved around or stacked in the corner of the room. Yeah, didn't yeah, they well, stack stuff, them up? Like they found like chairs stacked up like four feet high. Yeah, there was, they did, but that that was a little bit later on. Like initially, uh, they heard like like I said, footprints and stuff, and um, mm-hmm. like a lot of the poltergeist uh, activity seemed to revolve around uh, his uh, girlfriend Debbie. Yeah, and um, even though even though he said that he had experienced some himself as well. But a lot of it revolved around her, and, and yeah, that, that was it was kind of a that, that's kind of the, one of the things that really interests me the most, to be honest, because I, I love ghost stories. You know what I mean? I've mm-hmm. never seen any. I've never had a, a you know a, a you know a, a crazy experience like that. Like I've had some you know questionable experiences where I couldn't really tell you if it was really ghost or not. But uh, I love those those stories though. It really like it, it, sometimes when you hear a good story like that, it makes your your hair stand up on your arms and stuff because you goosebumps. You're like, oh yeah, this is crazy. Yeah. But like you know, uh, but um yeah, they, uh, initially like like uh like the footsteps and stuff like that, like the the footprint uh, footprints on the wall, and then um they also had like like they would come into the kitchen and like there'd be like cups stacked up and stuff on on the shelf. Yes. And then later on, yeah, that furniture, uh, I remember Debbie, uh, one of her uh, testimonies, uh, she explained it like it looked like the uh, the finger of a giant or something like that had just like swept everything off to the side. It wasn't just furniture too. It was like appliances and stuff that were in the kitchen. And hmm. like, like if I was to walk into a, you know, a scene like that, uh, I, I'd be pretty freaking spooked, you know? Yeah, that would be and, like, pretty she, crazy. Yeah. Cause she was, she was coming to the house for that particular experience. She was coming to the house to feed the cats because at that point later on in the story, she didn't feel comfortable, um, sleeping in the house anymore. Cause she had had some of these experiences. Like she even felt like a, a hand on her shoulder, like grabbing her shoulder and, uh, tugging at her hair a couple times and stuff. And 
like she noticed the cats in front of the house, like just like sitting there staring at her. And, and what, from what she said, usually when she'd come back to the house, the cats would be like swarming around her legs and stuff and be excited to see her, you know, and, and, but they weren't doing that. They were just sitting there like, like just staring at her. And like initially when she first like, you know, walked up to the front of the house, she's like, well, that's strange. And then she walked into the door, saw all that, like all the furniture, like move over, moved over and stacked up on one side of the room. And she just backed up and, and was like, nope. No, and I'm not going in there. Yeah. The cats will be fine. They'll be fine for a day. You know, like can get them. So what I have, uh, what I found as far as, so the poltergeist activity started, you know, before the actual messages started arriving. But one night they went out with friends for a few hours. That would be Ken, Deb, and Nick. And while they were out, the computer was left on. They just kind of left it sitting there. This is back in the day before, I guess, electricity was an arm and a leg. And you could just do that sort of thing. You just leave your computer on, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> and No internet either, by the way. Yeah, no internet. I mean, the internet was sort of in its beginning stages, but it was yeah. not, like, they might have a network set up, like, at the university, but you certainly couldn't connect to it from your home, you know, like that yeah. kind of a thing. So they, so they went out and they came home. They found on the computer that had been borrowed, they, sa- they found a message on the computer. It said, Ken, Deb, Nick. True are the nightmares of a person that fears. Safe are the bodies of the silent world. Turn, pretty flower, turn towards the sun, for you shall grow and sow. But the flower reaches too high and withers in the burning light. Get out your bricks. Pussycat, pussycat, went to London to seek fame and fortune. Faith must not be lost, for this shall be your redeemer. I'm like, all right, well, what the hell does that mean? And yeah. Uh, the file was saved under the name of KDN. Now, apparently this kind of a computer, um, it was hard to, like, you wouldn't really be able to program it to display this at a specific time. You know, like if you programmed it ahead of time, you knew, say, you knew Ken was going to borrow it and bring it home. And you also Mm -hmm. knew that he was going to go visit his friends in the pub at 8 p.m. I guess it would not be, you would not be able to program this to display that at 8 p.m. on Friday night. I guess that you would actually have to physically type it on the computer while they were gone. Like somebody had to be there to type it. So they came home and this was there and they're not sure how it got there. Uh, There was no signs of like forced entry. There's no signs that anybody broke into the house. There's nothing missing, nothing stolen. So it would be a pretty strange prank, not out of the question, but a strange prank for somebody to sneak into his house and type this bizarre poem and then leave, right? But mm-hmm. they were sort of, they sort of dismissed it at first because um, they were like, ah, oh, that's weird, but okay, whatever. Um, that's, that's cool, you know, but they didn't really give it much thought, I guess. They forgot about it. And uh, so from, I don't have an exact timeline of what computer Ken was borrowing and when, how many computers the school had and all that stuff. But you get the impression that the school had several computers it probably yeah. was not a ton of computers. It was not like 50 or something like that, like what you might see nowadays in a classroom. Because back then, these computers were very expensive. So the school probably only had like two or three of them, um, maybe a little bit more, but it wouldn't have had a ton. <clears throat> so, I mean, it's not out of the question that somebody could have tampered with it somehow, right? But um, I believe these were also the type of computers where you had to run it off of a floppy drive. So I don't know. The the logistics are sort of interesting to to ponder, but it would be very difficult to do, I think. Maybe not impossible. I don't know. But yeah, so that was the first message. Did you want to continue on after that ETA? 
I don't have all the messages uh, written down in my notes here. I can't okay. just... Oh, I just mean just sort of yeah, like as far as the events go, but um, like the basic timeline. So we have the next event sort of happens in February of 1985. So we had the, the tail end of 84 um, was when the first message was received. And in February 1985, Ken borrowed another computer. The same thing happened this time. He was out of the house with hanging out with some friends or whatever. And when they got back, a message appeared on the computer. And this one says... I write on behalf of many what strange words thou speak, although I must confess that I hath also been ill-schooled. Sometimes, methinks, alterations are somewhat barful, for they break men asleep in mine bed. So these, this is like written in sort of a, an older version of the English language. So write is spelled W-R-Y-T-E. And there's, you know, sometimes methinks it's T-H-Y-M-E-S's, stuff like that. So thou art godly man who hath fanciful woman who dwell in mine home. I hath no want to affray for only uh, Sith mine half. Whited antic has ripped a twain. Mine bound hath I been wreathed a knight. Uh, I don't know. I have an idea what that's talking about. <laughs> It's like reading Shakespeare or something where you have to look up every single word yeah. and it has like historical and political context. Yeah. I have seen many alterations lastly change or charge house and now home. Tis a fitting place with lights which devil maketh and costly things that online the only mine friend Edmund Gray can afford or the king himself. Twas a great crime to hath bribed mine house. So he's talking about the alterations that he's making to the house and how he's seeing, you know, lights and things like this. But after this message, Ken and his friends started to take this a little bit more seriously. Maybe it wasn't some kind of prank. And also this, the whole time these messages are going on, the whole throughout this whole narrative, in the backdrop, you have all of this poltergeist activity. We, we've sort of summarized it all for you at the beginning, but uh, that's happening as well. So at this point, they're like, okay, maybe there is something to this after all. This is all a little bit weird. So they get the idea, um, or Ken gets the idea to write back to the message. He just types back onto the computer and responds to whoever's writing this. They don't really know. And they get a response. The writer says that he's from the year 1521, and the king is Henry VIII, who is 48, but the king would have been 30 years old at that time. So there's, uh, or, 30, or maybe 28 and 30, I don't know, whatever. There's, there's like a little discrepancy on the age of the king. So the writer says... Yeah. yeah. I, th I think he described him as like 46, I think, or something like that. Yeah, something like that. Like yeah, which he, in that year, he should have been 30. Yeah, I, th I think, I, I don't think it was 48. I, I think that's a typo. I think I wrote that down wrong. But either which no. way, the message that was left on the computer gave the incorrect age for the king, which is sort of a strange detail. Well, if he's supposed to be a farmer in the middle of a village in the middle of nowhere, it wouldn't surprise me if he didn't know the age of the king either. Yeah, that's possible. That's definitely possible. So the mysterious writer asks what they're doing in his house. Ken consulted at some point another teacher, by the way, Peter Tender, who determined that the language used was from the 16th century. So he said it would be period accurate. That's just a little side note there. Ken at some point asked the writer what the initials LW stood for, and they got the response that it stood for Lucas Wayneman. 
and they looked, they were able to research a lot of the stuff left in the messages. And for this particular one, they found that Lucas Wayneman owned the land during the 1540s. They did this. So this stuff is sort of out of order. Like they didn't do that right of what right away. It would have taken them a little bit of time to dig up that information, but um, they, they eventually determined that that person did actually own that land in the past. Getting creepy yet, Aging Ether? I don't know. I I listened to this. Um, they listened to this guy on YouTube who who did like a short summary uh-huh. of the whole event, and I do remain a bit skeptical just because it's so fantastical. I suppose. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like a, a haunted word processor. <laughs> well, it almost sounds also, like a like, Stephen King story. That sounds like something Stephen King would write. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's a lot of ghost stories that I've heard. Where, you know that people recount that like the ghost was telling them to get out of their house. You know, it's somebody that had died in the house or what have you, or lived on the property. So, I mean, this, uh, and that doesn't necessarily support or, you know, debunk or anything, you know what I mean? But it, it is a common thread that you do see in ghost stories where, you know, the ghost is, is not necessarily, they don't know that they're dead and they think that they're still living in their house. Maybe they're in purgatory, whatever it is, who knows, but I mean, that's a, that's a common thing you see in ghost stories. So it doesn't surprise me that, that that's in this story. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. Just checking something here. Okay. So they, uh, they tested the knowledge of the guy or the digital intruder or whoever it was writing these messages. And they sort of answered or asked questions of him to try to see if they'll make mistakes or errors in the answers. And at some point... Lucas starts asking them questions, sort of like testing them. So it kind of goes back and forth like that. And at some point, Debbie began to have vivid dreams of traveling back in time and meeting with Lucas. Lucas communicates these meetings and his messages. So he would have, she would have a dream, travel back in time and like have a conversation with him or whatever. And then on the next message, he would mention that dream and what they spoke about in the dream. So it's sort mm-hmm. of like this telepathic time, sort of time traveling. Connection. It's, yeah, it's kind of weird. Yeah, and she even she even made sketches about some like uh, what she thought he, he looked like, or from like the what she remembered from the dream. And some of those sketches are actually I don't know if you've seen those pictures, but they're actually pretty good. Like she she must have been a decent artist, you know. Like yeah, it was it was pretty detailed, you know, as far as a, a simple sketch goes. But yeah, yeah, for sure. But uh, oh yeah, they're. So I'm just looking at the Discord chat right now. They uh yeah, Diamond says those I put the recipe for the cookies. Yeah. On there. Diamond says, hey, those look dope. I'm like, hey, yeah, they're they're pretty good. <laughs> and Byron, <laughs> what's up, Byron? He says, those cookies look delicious. All right. So <laughs> um one of the next details that I found interesting was they were asking Lucas, like, how are you talking to us or whatever? And Lucas said that he is communicating to them with a box of light or a box of lights. And it's, it sounds like he's describing a computer. He just doesn't use that word for it. Cause they, you know, they don't know what computers are back then. So Ken at some point tells Lucas that he was living in 1985. And then he got the response he got was, you said your time be 1985. Me thought you were also else from 2109. Uh, your friend whom did bring Oh, you get you want to go ahead and grab that aging ether. She's got her nine o'clock alarm on to go ahead and feed the cryptids. I guess while she's doing that, I'll do our next advertisement. 
Have you got cryptid on an exchange? Cryptid? What the hell? Have you got cryptocurrency <laughs> on an exchange? Well, what are you doing? Get that stuff off of there before another one collapses. You heard about FTX? Be afraid. Be very afraid and let my fear tactics convince you to get the ledger wallet. You can hold your own cryptocurrencies right on your wallet. It connects right up to your computer, but it's a separate device. So even if your computer gets infected or compromised, they still won't be able to get the stuff on the wallet. It's a cold wallet. Some people call it a cold wallet because it's an offline storage. I mean, you can use it to transfer stuff around, but it's essentially offline and one of the safest ways to hold on to your cryptocurrency. So check it out. Link in the description. Buy yourself a Ledger wallet today and don't let those crooked exchanges take your cryptocurrencies. All right, let's get back to the show. Hopefully Agent Ether gets back pretty soon. I need to start writing out these advertisements because um, <laughs> they're not very good. Uh-oh. Oh, no, she got another cookie. Agent Ether got another cookie. <laughs> All right, I'll start at the beginning of that again. So he told Lucas, Ken told Lucas that he was coming from 1985, and Lucas sent him this response, basically saying, you said your time is 1985. I thought you were from 2109, like your friend whom did bring me the box of lights. Um, is basically, so I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, but that's what it says, like, for example, didst bringa leams boista prey, I guess means box of lights. I, I don't know. The, I'm not sure how, but that's what I found online. And, you know, the internet never lies. So, uh, of course. The, I guess somebody brought a box of lights to Lucas and that person was named one and had green skin. It was basically a green skin time traveler who brought them basically brought a computer back to the 1500s for some strange reason so that this person could communicate to the future. So then Ken said, well, why don't we try to talk to the person from 2109? And to his surprise, or maybe not, he got a response. And here is that response. Ken Deb Peter. So I guess at this point, Peter's another friend that had been brought in. I'm not sure exactly when, but he was in on the, the whole thing. We are sorry. Yeah, yeah I think uh, he was a yeah. school teacher, right? He was an English uh, um, teacher. That he, I guess he knew a little bit of something about old English in the 16th century. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. That might be that guy. Yeah. We are sorry that we can give you only two choices. One, that you either have your predicament explained in such a non-rhyme way that you may have instant understanding, but cause what should not be to happen. Or two... Try to understand that you three have a purpose that shall in your lifetime change the face of history. We, 2109, must not affect your thoughts directly, but give you some sort of guidance that will allow room for your own destiny. All we can say is that we are all part of the same God, whatever he, it is. And let's see. Yeah, so that, that was the message from the future. I find like that message from 2109 a little suspect because if they didn't want to necessarily affect the future, then why would they have gone farther back uh, and given you know uh, Lucas this this uh, this you know, light box, the computer? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and it, he also, I, I know that uh, some of the responses he had made, um, Lucas uh, describes it. You know, he doesn't like. Basically, they they found out that he's not typing anything in. He's just speaking to the uh, computer or what have you. So it sounds like 
Yeah, he has like some kind of like like a verbal dictation program or something like that, you know, on the computer where it's just it's it's uh, he's speaking into it and he's not typing, you know. That would make sense because the letters would also look different, and I think they wrote in script. Yeah. They wrote in script, so mm-hmm. it would look a lot different. Yeah, um, a little closer to your microphone, please, Agent Ether. Thank you, I appreciate it. Yeah, that's interesting because. It's sort of, did they have text-to-speech software back then? Um, I'm not sure. So it's sort of an interesting detail that kind of makes you think, well, maybe this is all legit if they're describing something that doesn't actually exist yet. On the other hand, science fiction stories have been coming up with stuff for a long, long time that ended up eventually being, mm-hmm. you know, being invented later on. Especially Jules Verne stories like the submarine yeah. and Gun of the Moon. Man, that guy was fantastical. Yeah, yeah, and that was like, what, 1800s or something? Yes, yes, amazing stories. Long time ago. So people did have these ideas kicking around, even though they may not have necessarily been invented yet. I'm not sure specifically about text-to-speech, but I know that there's, you know, sci-fi had been running very strong for very long, you know, with authors like Heinlein and Asimov and all kinds of stuff that, you know, they they were predicting the future, essentially, in a lot of different ways. But all right, so I have another quote from the future here, and it's, uh, it sort of suggests that, hints that there maybe it's an all just an experiment. I don't know. But here it is. It is better to have no knowledge at all than to have a distorted view of the truth because of your lack of understanding. We, 2109, are not without compassion. But if you continue to disrupt our experiments, then it is likely you will find your destiny. We shall, however, allow one more communication with you so that you may ask your profound questions. We shall answer as you wish, if in terms of physics, then it shall be so. But remember that our limits are set by your own abilities and not ours. There is no one after the man you call Lucas. The chance factor will not reoccur again in a time span your kind can relate to. So that's kind of a strange message. It's sort of an experiment, but also... What does he mean by your kind? Is he like a different race that's, co- you know, co-inhabiting the planet with people in 2109? Is that what that, I don't know. What do you guys think of that one? Well, I remember reading a different message where they describe themselves almost as beings of energy or light, but that doesn't necessarily imply they weren't at one point human, but maybe there's just such a great distinction between what they are now, you know, versus versus what what are we talking about? Nineteen eighties, right? Yeah, just a big difference. Although, you know, twenty one oh nine does not seem that far off. <laughs> no, it does not. <laughs> we were just talking about this the other day because we've been watching a couple of older sci fi movies, and it's funny because in the eighties, a lot of the sci fi movies in the eighties, they would be like nineteen ninety five. <laughs> the world yeah. is set on fire and robots have taken over. You're like, dude, that's like 10 years. Like in, in the 80s, they would make this these predictions be like, okay, in 20 years, people are going to be like, you know, have flying cars and all this crazy stuff. And it's, I guess there was like this really unbridled optimism as far as what technology was going to do in the near future, you know, and how it was going to change the lives of average people. So I think that because in the 80s, they're coming out with all kinds of new stuff all the time, like all these gadgets and, you know, these new things that coming out like compact discs and, you know, new media players like going from, um, you know, like uh, eight tracks to cassettes to CDs or, 
you know, they had like the old Betamax yeah. versus VHS kind of a deal. And they're coming out with these really high tech, you know, I hate, I hate to say it, it sounds ridiculous, but these really high tech VHS player type deals that, you know, things were changing fast back then, you know, they, they still are today, but it just seemed a little mm -hmm. different back then. Well, I, I remember when like like uh, Blu-ray came out, you know, and everybody was like, "Oh, it's so much better! Look at it; it's so much better." And now, like, that's uh, something that's just like, "All right, whatever," you know. It's, yeah. it's not not impressive at all in any way, shape, or form, you know. No, I remember you, the days you always when, want to get your movie on Blu-ray. You're always like, "Oh, which one should oh, sure, I get? Yeah. Got to get it on Blu-ray." Yeah. Sure. Why not? Yeah, yeah. I agree with that. Yeah, but like, I remember the days when, like, you know, you'd have like a. I would go down to the warehouse. You remember that AJ Anderson oh, down wow. there, yep. the, the shopping center, the shopping center. Yeah. And like, I would go down there and like, I would, uh, you know, cause like I, I've always been into music and stuff. Right. So I would buy these, uh, cassette tapes that said like, they're, they're like the same quality as like CDs. Cause a CD was like a, still at the time, a new thing, you know? And like, like, uh, if you can get music on CDs like that, that was like, you know, the, the, uh, the highest quality. Right. But like, uh, I, I would sit there, like with a radio, like I'd be listening to like a, you know, my favorite radio station or something. Like when they say like a song would come on, you know, I'd, I'd make like mixtapes, you know, like, like, uh, I, like I'd wait for a song to come on and be like, oh, oh, here it comes. I better hit record at the right time. You know, <laughs> here it goes. Bam, hit it. I'm recording, you know, yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, it's a, back then that was like, I guess like the early days of, uh, I guess you could say pirating music. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, like, everybody like, everybody did it. Everybody just sort of recorded tapes or if you had if your friend had an album you wanted, you would just borrow their tape and just sort of dub it onto a blank tape, you know? I remember those yeah, double yeah. radios where you put the tape in you had two two places to put the cassette tapes. Right. So you can make you copies. Make yeah. Copies everybody yeah. did that. Yeah. That's oh, I forgot about that. That's exactly that. what I was doing it on. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, we didn't really think much of it. It just sort of everybody just sort of did it. But nowadays that's you wouldn't steal candy from a baby, would ya? You know, kind of a thing. It's it's become yeah, very it evil. I'd slap that baby right in the damn face. Give me that candy, bitch. <laughs> what kind of candy? <laughs> Butterfingers? Yeah, Butterfingers. Oh, I would do it for a Butterfinger. Maybe not for a lollipop because that's kind of disgusting. But if I saw like an unopened <laughs> like a uh, Butterfinger or, like a uh, package yeah. in, in that kid's hand, I'd be like whack, give me that shit. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm joking. And Actually, I wouldn't the, do that. That's going in the description. On this episode, Ethan <laughs> says how he would steal candy from a baby. <laughs> no, just kidding. But I'm leaving that in though because it's funny. <laughs> but, but yeah, so it was. I don't know. It was. It was interesting times at the very least. But yeah, I remember. I remember that the warehouse music. That place. It. It became. It turned. Did it turn into something else? I don't know. Blockbuster, maybe. Who knows? But not at that shopping center. Maybe I know that like warehouse went away way before Blockbuster did. Yeah. From what I remember, you know. But I. I don't know what what the reason for that is. You know. Well, I think uh, they opened up a, a Blockbuster and I think a Hollywood video that sort of killed their business, maybe. I don't know. But I remember the last time I went there, I rented a VHS tape to watch it. And I brought it home and it wouldn't play. Like, it was all messed up, you know? So I brought it back. Yeah. Now, this is this is literally like a t 10, 15-minute span of time, right? So we're talking about a 10... Like, it's I didn't have time to watch the whole movie. Like, I, you would have barely had time to rewind the movie, and that, you know? So I go back... And I'm yeah. like, hey, this movie doesn't work. And they, the person behind the counter is like looking at me like I'm trying to pull a fast one. I'm like, yeah, it doesn't work. Could I just get a, this, a different copy of the same movie? And they're 
the guy was like treating me like, well, I don't know, blah, blah. Like, like, no, dude, I'm not trying to like, like get a free rental here. I just, I want the exact same movie, different copy. And he's like, oh, you got to clean your machine and stuff. I'm like, I, it's not my machine. I just watched a movie yesterday. It was fine. And eventually I talked mm -hmm. him into it, but like he's, he's trying to bust my chops, right? I'm like, what the hell is this? Oh, wait, actually that was the next last time. The last time I went, they were advertising two evening rentals, right? So I went, I rented a movie. I kept it two nights and I returned it the next day and they charged me for two rentals. I'm like, what the hell? They're like, yeah, you keep it for two evenings, the evening you rent it and the evening you return it. <laughs> I'm like, I told him, I'm like, I'm like, all right, you can charge, you can charge me for this extra rental, but I'm never coming back. And of course they charged me and I never came back. So they, they had some strange business practices there. And I, I think that that might be part of the reason why they went under. Although, you know, it probably would have been inevitable at some point with all the streaming and yeah. stuff, but Hey, there's still a blockbuster I guess. No, it closed. The last blockbuster closed. I'm pretty sure it closed. Wasn't it? Isn't Oregon or something like that? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I think I heard on the news. Yeah. But yeah, the warehouse definitely, at least that location, definitely accelerated the process with some of their shady practices. And they, they didn't treat customers as valued customers. They treated you as like, what are you doing here? Why are you spending money here? Go away. You know, kind of a thing. It's, mm -hmm. it's like, no, no, I'm a customer. I want to spend money here. <laughs> you know, let me spend money here and I will, but they, they didn't want you to apparently. So yeah. Anyways, wow. That was quite a, quite a diversion there on, on <laughs> warehouse video. <laughs> yeah. But, oh yeah, no, I remember what I was going to say too. Um, actually I think, uh, tapes are potentially better quality than CDs, believe it or not. That's why even when they had CDs, a lot of the recording studios would record on to tape. But the difference is, is that tape is not nearly as durable and it degrades more easily because what a date, a tape is, is it's basically you have like a bunch of tiny pieces of metal that I guess record the sound on there and anything like say magnets or whatever, it just sort of deteriorates over time anyways. So they're, they don't last as long as CDs. CDs can also deteriorate over time. That, that is possible, but tapes are just, um, they're more likely to do so. So they're, they're potentially, like you're saying, you know, their advertisers being as good as CD quality, they might've actually technically been better quality. They just don't tend to last as long. I just wanted to throw that out there, but all right. So let's see, what was I going to, okay. So did I read the, okay. I read that. Um, all right. So next up I have in my notes, 2109 tells them that the poltergeist activities are a result of Ken's actions and that they shouldn't talk to Lucas for a while. And that was sort of a strange thing. So I guess there, there's some stuff going on where it seemed like 2109 was editing the message messages between Ken and Lucas. So there, there was some sort of interference going on there and what that poltergeist activity is or how it was interfering. We don't really know, but there's, there's a lot of, of stuff about, like how the communication worked and how it might've been interfered with and stuff. I didn't take notes on all that stuff because uh, it gets pretty bogged down on something that may or may not be all that important in the grand scheme of things. But let's see. So we talked about Debbie's visions and her dreams. Um, oh yeah. So eventually Lucas reveals that his name is actually an alias and his real name, his real name was Thomas Harden. And that was sort of a, sort of like a strange revelation and a strange thing in the case why would he operate under under a pseudonym right he's speaking to them from the past i don't know 
it's sort of a sort of a strange thing. Would, did you have anything on that as to why that would be? Either agents? No, I f- I found that pretty weird. But at the same time, I don't know. It might have all seemed like witchcraft to him, and he's you know very reluctant to give any information. But then he was giving all the information about where he lived, and oh, it's just so confusing. Yeah, yeah, and also the the college he went to, which uh. I believe they did some research to try to find out if he actually, they could find some records, but they they never did under that name because obviously it wasn't the correct name. Yeah. But hey, if that was a, if that was an alias, then Thomas Harden could have been an alias as well, right? What's in a name? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ether, could you talk into the mic, please? What do you want me to? It should be like, like maybe two inches from your face. Yours is like six inches. Is not? Is two. <laughs> Look at that. It's like that. It's like two inches. Because when when we're doing the recording, when I do the editing, you're gonna you're very quiet, so it's some you were closer to the mic earlier, so it makes it a lot harder to level your volumes throughout the whole track, and um, some of the tools I use to like remove remove noise and stuff might detect the lower level stuff as noise, and remove it, so it makes the editing quite a lot more difficult. So is this better? That is much better. Thank you. So if yeah, if you just talking to the mic, be very close to it, and then it makes it so much easier to get the edits done. I appreciate it. All right. So on to the next little bit here that we have. So 2109 seems pretty unhappy that they learned the real name of Lucas or Thomas or, you know, whatever you want to say it. And he sends a message and he says, at present, you have two Lucases running around your house. If at any time the two are to meet, we cannot explain the devastation that will erupt within the time continuum. We must stop communication with Lucas one, but we cannot interfere with the other. You must help be giving. Uh, you must help be giving us every word uttered by Thomas Hard uh, Hardwine from the second you received his true name. You must also state how much information you have on this man. Everything, word for word. Avoid any other communication you may have with him. Desperation, be quick. So that's a little, um, I don't know, a little different, right? A little different that's tone. more forceful. Yeah, and there's there's two of the guys. What does that mean? Is, is it like a split in the timeline? I, I don't yeah. know. <laughs> yeah, this is, this is the point where they start to lose me too. <laughs> or maybe a little before this, I don't know. Well, because if they if they have control and they're these otherworldly beings or advanced beings and they brought back a computer, but they can't control the timeline now and there's two of them, I just, I'm not following. But maybe it's because I'm not advanced enough. Right, yeah, you're just not smart enough to understand. That's all it is. Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, come on. I guess I'm not smart enough either because I have no idea what any of this means. <laughs> right? Um, so they, there's there's some other shenanigans that go on. Like they instead of using the computer, they try to use paper to communicate with the past so that they can sort of get around the 2109 fella. And, you know, so they have him. So they have a Thomas or... Um, What's his name? You know, the, the guy with the alias writing with charcoal on paper to try to communicate with him. And I suppose that sort of worked a little bit. Um, yeah. From what I understand, it started off a little vague, like he wasn't very good at it, but like they described it like, uh, as time went on, he got better at it, I guess. Like, and they were able to receive more pronounced, uh, messages from him. They would, the writing, the writing got better. Yeah. I remember seeing a letter 
like the an image of an actual letter with his signature. Am I remembering wrong? Um, no, probably not. I don't. I did not see that letter, but I'm sure you did. <laughs> <laughs> so let's see. What do I have here? Um, so at some point they ask 2109 if there's any way to get rid of the poltergeist so they can communicate with the past again. And 2109 says, yes, we shall hold back as best we can on the PG. Sorry you find us so friendly. Ask the man David what he thinks of conjectural tachyons and what are his theories of causality. What answer does he have for its paradox? Cheers, 2109. So, um, they actually did have a friend named David who was a teacher and knew something of tachyons. Uh, would, would you like to explain to us what tachyons are, Agent Ether? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) So my understanding is that tachyons are a theoretical particle that can like travel backwards in time or something. They don't really exist. It's just sort of like a theoretical kind of a deal, like a what if, but um, I'm not a physicist and I don't really know anything about it, but I just remember reading that some point in the past. So I don't know. How about you, Agent ETA? Do you know what tachyons are? (laughs) Uh, Nope. (laughs) Nope. No, I'm not smart enough to even tackle that kind of a <laughs> subject. You know, I mean, I've looked into like, like, uh, people giving lectures about like string theory and stuff like that. And like the whole time I was just like, uh, what, what, yeah. what the hell's going on? Like, yeah, it's a little, little above my, uh, brain grade, I guess you could say. I think I'm I, interested in it, but it goes right over my head. I think I played a game that had like a tachyon cannon or tachyon gun or something. I forget what, some video game. Maybe like, I think maybe Wing Commander or something. That's going back a ways. Yeah, I think it might have been Wing Commander. Uh, maybe Wing Commander Privateer that had a tachyon gun or something. Was maybe. that was that the Wing Commander with Mark Hamill? Uh, no, no, it was a different one. But that, that one oh, was okay. pretty good. Hobbs! Hobbs! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was my, I mean, that was the one I played the most. Yeah. That game was, it was fun, but it also had its problems. But Wing Commander yeah. 4, now that thing was a dumpster fire. We won't get into that one. I was like, what the hell? But anyways, so I just wanted to, um, Byron actually said something in the chat here uh, of uh, Byron on Discord said, the warehouse, we have that in New Zealand, I think. Depends if you're talking about the same thing. Um, yeah, maybe the, maybe the company still exists over there in, uh, oh. in New Zealand. That'd be pretty cool, right? Oh, and he, he has a yeah. link here. Okay, let's see. Let's see what we've got here. Let's check the link. Hopefully it's not going to hack my computer. It's what a is virus. this? Don't Pop-ups. Oh no. Oh no. My, my phone is done now. It's let's see. Um, the logo is different and uh, there looks like they sell uh, mostly electronics and stuff, but I mean, that's not necessarily unusual to have a different logo. That happens all the time. They may even rebrand yeah. stores like, um, like I think in the East Ralph's is Raleigh's right for yes. the grocery stores. Yeah. It's similar logo, different name kind of a thing. So, I mean this, uh, it's hard for me to tell. I'd have to Google it and do some research, but I mean, it, it's entirely possible. It could be the same company that's still around and they just, they've transitioned less from rentals and CDs more to like just general electronics and maybe a department store or whatever. It looks like it's a department store, but mm-hmm. that'd be interesting if that was still the same company. Like I remember like when I was ki- I was a kid like in middle school um I would save up my like uh, like like any money I could get lunch money or whatever it is you know and like me and my my uh one of my best friends uh we would uh, this guy Jonathan we'd save up our money and then we'd go rent like uh, video games for like N- Nintendo 64 you know it mm-hmm. was like 
I think that was a, that was a console we were using at the time. Yeah. And uh, yeah, on the weekends, you know, or on the, you know, during summertime or whatever like that, that was our, our main goal was like, let's like uh, get some money together. Let's go rent some games. Cause like, we weren't like, you know, too keen on, uh, cause a, a lot of those games back then you could rent it like for a couple of days and beat the game. You know what I mean? If you, if you spent all day, every day on it, you know, like, which we did cause we were nerds, you know, but like, like, uh, yeah, I remember like even like, like games, like, like the original, like Duke Nukem and stuff like that. Like, I remember like bringing that game and we're like, we had all sorts of fun. Like, like, yeah. And then like, there was other games like Goldeneye that we, we had to buy. You know what I mean? Oh, Goldeneye like, was, one was of those the games, shit. Like, yeah. That was one of those games where like it had so much, uh, uh, you could re- replay it so much that like, we we're like, yeah, we got to get this one, you know? Yeah. And I remember even like, I've talked to you about this, AJ Anderson. Like there was like, you know, all the neighborhood kids, like we'd get together and like, we put like, we'd like bet on it, like on, on like a uh, different rounds and stuff. Like we bet like quarters or dimes even or whatever, you know, like yeah, whatever money we could get, you know, like I, I bet you, I bet you 50 cents I could beat you in this next round, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> I remember, I remember, um, I thought I was pretty decent at that game cause we played it a lot. And, um, mm-hmm. one time, um, ET, ETA would, he usually played it at his friend's house. I think he, they weren't, yeah. weren't always at our house, but, um. I remember one time I was like, I was like, child, like, oh, you think you're good? Okay, let's go. I'm like, because I think, okay, I'll, I'll kick your ass. You know, let's do it. So we're playing. And, and he's just like, he's like, headshot, bink. I'm like, what the fuck? Headshot, bink. Look at Dude, I didn't even land a single bullet on him. Like, he just kept killing me from like across the fucking map. I'm like, how are you? It's like half a pixel. How are you getting that headshot? It was ridiculous. It was crazy. So, well, because like, we sat we sat there and we, we played the game so much like we broke the game you yeah know what i mean it's like, like it was we found out everything about the game it was it was not even close dude like i didn't I, it was not even competitive it was I, I thought i was good at the game until i played eta then i was like all right this i i give up i, I retire from this game <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was funny hilarious hey man there's there's levels to this shit you know what i mean there are indeed but hey <laughs> I, i'll beat you at super smash brothers melee though i'll tell you that much yeah, you might. I, I haven't. I, I, maybe I played that game once or twice. Oh, so, I, would, yeah, I would definitely probably. Beat you then. Yeah, <laughs> not actually. Not that I'm great at that game or anything. It is a fun game, but it, I, that's I've played a couple from the series, and that one by far, in my opinion, is the best. There's just something about it. Something about the balance and how you know the characters' strengths and weaknesses and stuff. That I think it just it just mm-hmm. plays really well. It plays better than the other ones. But, um, all yeah. right, well, think, let's, let's get back to the show. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We should yeah. probably do that. Yeah. You can, uh, wrap it up fairly soon here. So, yeah. So, uh, let's see. We just talking about that. David knows a, or Ken knows David that, uh, knows a little bit about Tachyon. So that was in the message. All right. So they did get a few outside entities or peoples to investigate the case, like a UFO group and, um, the one, the one that I took notes on was the Society for Psychical Research, and yeah, SPR. Yeah, that particular group thought that the house might be bugged, and they suspected the whole thing was a hoax of one kind or other. You know, despite the fact that you know it, it looked really good, because the messages only appeared when they were out of the house. And, um, sometimes I guess Debbie was home once or twice, but usually they were outside of the house and Ken was definitely out of the house when all the messages were typed. And like I said, with this type of computer, it would not be really that possible, I guess, to, um, to have the message just pop up. 
you'd have to actually have somebody at the keyboard physically typing it. Now that's what I don't know a whole lot about computers. And that's what I found when I was looking at the model of computer, but anything's possible. Maybe I'm misunderstanding the capabilities of this thing and maybe it would be possible, but I don't think so. I, I actually stumbled across a Reddit post about this topic. Two inches aging ether. Yeah. I actually stumbled across a Reddit post about this specific thing and, and someone who replied seemed to know a lot about computers, specifically this model. And he said, you know, he could not see any way around it being a hoax because of the way the computer worked and the ability to have something, um, you know, boot up like that. Yeah, I did. I did copy paste a message from Reddit where somebody talks about it. Maybe I'll do that at the end. But they, they talk about the capabilities of the computer and a possibility and stuff. I'm not sure what half the words mean, but I'll, I'll go ahead and read it anyways. You know, <laughs> but yeah, so that, that, uh, a psychic research group thought that it was a hoax. So that's, I thought that was interesting and you can go, we could do maybe half an episode on just their investigation, but, um, I, I'll just summarize it by saying they were not convinced. And, yeah. They kind of yeah. dropped it. Yeah. But, um, I guess they had like publications and stuff, but this case, it's hard to find the the volume that this case was in, I guess. I don't know. It's not online anywhere that I could find it. For this specific society? Yeah. For That's because they dropped the case. Yeah, but apparently mm. they published it in one of their, their periodicals. Oh, okay. All right. They published well, something I, about it. I actually watched a, uh, uh, in, in the lead up to this episode here, I watched a, uh, I think it was like about 44 minutes or something like that. It was a, uh, a, a, a YouTuber that um, his, his name was, I think it was Nostalgia Nerd. And um, this isn't the type of like topic and shout out to that guy. He did a good job. Uh, and um, so this guy isn't like uh, into like ghosts or, you know, UFOs or any, any, anything like this. He's actually like uh, he specializes in like nostalgic like uh, technology and stuff like old computers and stuff and this isn't the kind of like like the normal type of video that he usually makes, but he did do like this. The guy seemed to be very well informed and knew what the heck he was talking about when describing like this computer and its uh, capabilities. So he described that like you know like it doesn't seem like like this computer would have those capabilities you know what i mean like, like it just uh he went into pretty good detail about it which i'm not smart enough to really uh regurgitate but you know but uh yeah i was i was uh impressed by his description of uh what the comp computer was capable of and he didn't seem to think that some like, he didn't seem to think that like uh, what this some of the, the things that he had heard about the story he didn't think like the computer was capable of doing this like uh Unless online or something like that, you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. But even in that, even in that case, he was like pretty skeptical about it, you know. Yeah. All right. So, and I guess there was a last message where Thomas said that he's being forced to leave his home because the locals were going full Frankenstein on him and like threatening to burn his shit down and stuff. So he said, "This is going to be my last message." And like I said, there was details about the communication. Like, I guess he couldn't really move his light box very far or would like lose connection or something. He had to keep it in the same place in his house. But so I guess this is his last, last message said one day you will all sit down at my table for wine and meat by the river in Oxford, where we shall read each other's books and laugh. And we shall speak of truth and good men watching Oxford change together forevermore. 
In your time my book is old, but I shall not go to my God until it is written. Then we will all be truly embraced. My love to you all. I shall await you in Oxford. Thomas Harden. And there's so apparently there's a book that Thomas wrote in Latin and hid in a safe place. That was according to 2109, sent a message saying that. The book, of course, has never been found, but I mean, that'd be cool if, if it was, right? Yeah. Yeah, what if it was, man? That would validate the entire story as long as the book was uh, verified as having been written in, in that time period. And obviously you could do that with, you know, the, the type of uh, paper that the book was made up, you know, yeah, there would be, a, you know, a, an investigation into the authenticity of this book. You know, or maybe so, I mean, it was that, found. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> <laughs> Where's my hamster gif there? Whatever. <laughs> oh, yeah. I love yeah. that hamster gif. The one where you're like, his, the hamster's back is turned towards you. Then he just like turns his head like with wide eyes. Yeah. <laughs> right. Hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. I love that one. That's one of the really early gifts, I think. Right. It's been around a while. Yeah. It definitely has. Yeah. So I saw, I saw this, um, at some point, uh, Ken asked 2109 about UFOs. And I was like, yeah, now we're talking. Here we go. <laughs> and and <laughs> 2109 said, time UFOs and most other types of the paranormal are, all, are in some way all connected. In certain geographical locations, there is what we call areas of convectual magnetism. These can be explained by the magnetic lines that run around the Earth Imagine, if you will, circles running around the Earth clockwise. These are positive lines of magnet magnetic force, and also circles running anti-clockwise, negative. When two opposite running lines are crossed, usually a permanent crossing rather than random, the light-time continuum is vastly distorted so much that a sensitive individual may witness what you may call a timescape, that is, a glimpse of a past event or that of a future event. We hear you, ah, we hear you say, but you said matter could not travel in time. This is true as if matter were to travel by physical motion, then the mass around the moving object would be so dense that the earth and most other celestial bodies in your solar system would be consumed or imbalanced in such a way that they would decay rapidly. Then how? Imagine again, please, a person from the future happily floating along in his silver spaceship crossing an area of convectual magnetism. All of a sudden, his instrument panel goes shaky. He may feel slightly dizzy or nauseous. A green mist caused by atmospheric distortion forms around the vessel. He then will properly, um, probably fall into a trance state such, of such depths that his soul is squeezed through the light time gate and forced to project a physical mirror image of him or herself as, uh, then there's a missing word, as of their place, time, origin, and their immediate vicinity. This can occur sometimes for only several seconds and does, and does only register for that individual's subconscious, but onlookers from the time which is broken into will witness the very physical sight and actions of this alien from another time, then totally by confusion elaborate on the facts. So I, I thought that was sort of an interesting little take on it, you know? What? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> well, what he's saying is that, um, well, at least the way I'm taking that is that uh, it's not possible to physically travel through time and space, right? 
but basically your spirit, like an astral projection, let's say, can travel to another space and people will see that and see it as something like a ghost or a UFO or an alien. It's not. It's just somebody who's accidentally sort of slipped through time. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it's worded so oddly. It is kind of a, yeah, it is kind of strange how they wrote it. Yeah. So here's, here's that quote I have from Reddit about um, somebody talking about the technical possibilities of the computer, the BBC micro uh, from deleted. The username is deleted because I guess they deleted their account at some point. A technically advanced possibility is that the BBC micro came with a fact facility called sideways ROM in which the factory supplied operating system, BBC basic could be replaced with another operating system or even a program stored on a removable chip, which could be booted from a prankster could have opened the case, put a sideways ROM into the machine and set it to boot from it. All the, um, all that the very simple program on the sideways ROM would have to do would be to pop up a random quote on the screen before switching back to the factory ROM. And that was known. And that was a known function elsewhere. Fortune cookies, a configuration option on Unix or Linux, where immediately a terminal opens a random quote shows had been around for some time. This method would only have been comprehensible to someone who knew the machine's capabilities in detail. I remember writing assembly language using a development environment on a sideways ROM. This was actually better than what is available today because the machine, if it locked up, rebooted instantly into that environment. There was no lengthy wait for the operating system to boot, then the development environment to start. The DE was also blazingly fast. So that's um, an interesting idea. So they're saying that you could have a secondary chip in there that would um, boot, you could boot it into a secondary, you could hoax it using that. But the problem again with this idea is these computers did not have any sort of onboard clock. So you wouldn't really be able, I don't see how you could time that to be, you know, only when Ken was out of the house or something. So, I mean, Mm. it's an interesting idea but I don't think that completely solves how it was done. I feel like you would still need somebody to physically make it happen on the machine, physically boot from there or something, right? Yeah. I feel like somebody would have to be there, like yeah. present. But at the same time, I, I just, I'm not buying this voice from the past and voice from the future. I almost feel like it, if it was one or the other, right? I would be more inclined to uh, believe it. Yeah, I think it would be a much better story if it was only a voice from the past, you know? That would be like a way better story. But I guess that leads us to our final thoughts on the case. Uh, Who wants to go first? Agent Ether? Yeah, it certainly was interesting to uh, read about. Never heard of it before. And uh, I'm always, I'm a big fan of time travel stories. So that, that made it a lot of fun. Yeah, it was a fun story. How about you, Agent ETA? Well, I kind of lean on the side of it being a, a potential hoax, to be honest. Like, I, I love the story. It's very, very enjoyable to, to learn about this. And I was aware of this story uh, a while ago. I don't know when I uh, originally first heard about it, but um, I mean, there's a couple things. And, and this could be, you know, fact or potential, you know, fiction, but... 
I, I do remember. Uh, so, so there's this doctor from um, uh, Cambridge University that uh, analyzed like uh, some some samples of the writing and stuff, and some of the messages. Her name was uh, Doctor Laura Wright, and um, she was an expert, you know, on, on uh, that language from that that time period, uh, where uh, you know. Thomas uh, Warden was, was supposed to be from, or Lucas Wayman, whatever you want to call him. And she said that, like, it looks, it looks like, uh, it's, it's, it's not even close to, like, what the, the, the speak of that era, what was, how it was for, uh, formulated or what have huh. you. you know yeah, what I mean? she said really? there was, um, a lot of discrepancies, like, yeah. I doth versus I dust. And she was saying it would only yeah. be one or the other, and 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 she was also saying just like the syntax was off. Mm -hmm. was more, yeah, so I mean, yeah. that does kind of convince me that this is like. Uh, I mean, it, it makes me lean towards the side of the fence where it's it's possibly a hoax, but also at the same time, you know, I had a thought where I was like, well, I mean, this is a. You know, this, this is a professor at a uh, prestigious university. Even if she did think it was real, she probably wouldn't say that it's real because she doesn't want to be looked at like a like a, a loon or something like that. You know, she doesn't want uh, any kind of like a like a negative stuff coming her way. You know what I mean? So I, I wouldn't be surprised if she was just like, nope. You know, like, you know, it's it's all fake. You know, I'm not going right. to support this. You know. So, but for the most part, like I find it a, a very con a compelling story and I think it's very interesting. There's no doubt about that, but there, there's too many discrepancies and there, there's too many red flags for me, at least like I'm not, I'm not willing to, even though I want to, I want to believe it, but I, I don't, I don't think it's real because there, there's too many like, like uh, questions like, you know, like, like they definitely could have just themselves like, like typed out these messages and you know that they were academics as well right so that they're they're you know decently well educated they could have forged the, this stuff you know i guess you could say and i don't know that there's too much open area right there for me you know what i mean too much room for for uh, shenanigans to have been involved you know right yeah that's pretty much where i'm standing at i mean for example, pretty much the only source of information we have for this whole thing is actually a book that Ken wrote about the whole experience, right? That's where we get all our information. Yeah. We don't have a ton of witnesses coming forward and saying, oh yeah, I was there. Ken left the house. I was standing by the front door the whole time. He came back and then the message was there out of nowhere. We don't have corroborating witnesses like that. We only have Ken. And if he, him and his girlfriend and they're the person who's renting a room from them or whatever... If they're all very close friends, they, they could corroborate on this stuff very easily. You know, like, I think this would be incredibly easy for them to hoax if they wanted to, you know, like, yeah. And every single one of the messages that they got, even the ones that the, they left out, like, you know, paper for, for, uh, for the guy to, uh, for Lucas or Thomas, whatever you want to call him for him to write on. It all happened when they were gone, right? Yeah. Like, so they left, they left, they went to the pub and had some meals and some beers or what have you. And, you know, it happened while they're all gone, which is, seems a bit convenient to me. Well, and I didn't, I didn't see too many, or I didn't see any witness testimonies where it's like, oh yeah, I came back to his house from the pub and I saw the message on the screen. But even if that was the case, they could have just typed it before they left. They would have to be there before and after 
And you would have to have somebody observing the room to make sure that nobody actually got into the room to type onto the computer. It's just, I don't know, it would be very easy um, to hoax this, I think, you know, as an inside job. Now, if you're yeah. taking the perspective of somebody else putting those messages on the computer, you know, while Ken was away, then that would be a lot more difficult to hoax. Still not impossible, just, you know, breaking in, I guess, for two years. <laughs> yeah. Just creeping around the house. Every time Ken leaves, you just break in and put something on his computer. That's kind of weird. But yeah, I mean, it, it seems to me, so my take on this is that, yeah, it's a really fun story. I really enjoyed this one, but I don't think it's real. I don't think it really happened. I think what this is, is this is sort of like um, the first like viral marketing attempt that I'm aware of, right? Where this guy writes, basically writes a book and uses this story as he, it's a science fiction book, but he's treating it as if it's a real thing to sort of market the book that he's going to write about it. You know what I mean? So I, that's what I think. I think he did yeah. this whole thing just to write a book and to sell copies of the book. Um, I think it, like well, it's I said, po it's possible. It's a, it's, it's a possible, but fascinating story. And I really had a lot of fun with it, but I don't believe it. Not for a second. Yeah. He, he did. I, I think that the, the book was, uh, published like three years after the events had, had, uh, stopped. What have you? Mm -hmm. So I don't know if that's a, you know, I mean, that, that's a, a sizable amount of time, but it's, I mean, they still could have been trying to make some money off of it because they were just, you know, I, I mean, he, he was still pushing the story and stuff, you know? Yeah. Obviously he was trying to get the book published. So. Yeah. Oh, I also, I also wanted to mention before we get going here, I wanted to mention that this topic was actually originally requested by degenerate on, uh, on, um, discord. So thanks for the suggestion degenerate. We really enjoyed this one. I'm looking it up here and the, the book is 358 pages. So, um, I mean, that would take a little bit of time to write, maybe not three years. I don't know, but, uh, you know, so it's not a short book, but speaking of books, <laughs> it's you and books. It's always books. What? Well, there's a book for this case. That's true. There this is a book for this case is literally pretty much based on this book. So anyways, um, <laughs> You're like, no, <laughs> no, I was saying, no, no I'm, just, I'm hitting the flag for the Patreon subscribers so I can cut out the advertisements for them. So anyways, uh, check out, there's a late this week's, um, affiliate advertisement is the vertical plane, the mystery of the Doddleston messages, second edition by Ken Webster. That's right. There is a book about this case. This is pretty much where all the information comes from for this case is from this book, which is why. It's not a great case as far as actually being real, even if it is a fun case, but it's called the vertical plane. It's a link, Amazon link in the description. This is an affiliate link and your purchase supports the show and doesn't cost you anything extra. Shout out to our live audience. All right. Our live audience. Oh, most of the people are saying in the chat, they're like, oh yeah, we're, we have to, you know, it's late. We got to dip out. So peace out. So peace out to all those people who had to dip out early. Uh, thanks for listening. We appreciate you so much. And also, thanks for our live audience who is still here. We got Pimp Simpins, Ozzy Mima, and Murphy. Thanks for listening, guys. We really appreciate you showing up for the show. It makes it a lot more interesting to have an actual live audience. Really appreciate you being here. And keep it Hell straight. Yeah.